All right, as we come to our time getting in the Word, it looks like our children are all out the door. So that went pretty seamlessly. Usually I see some wildness in the back. They did great today. Uh, We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 34 today, and we're going to be reading the first 16 verses of Ezekiel 34. Don't worry, it's not that much, but I think for us to get a full understanding of what God is communicating through the prophet Ezekiel, we need to read these 16 verses together. If you are able, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. And we read this. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to these shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and close yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherd will not feed themselves anymore, but I, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth and they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy I will feed them with judgment. Please be seated. Have you ever wondered, have you ever kind of thought, maybe as a kid or or, or maybe even now, there are times in your life where you've wondered what it would be like to be invisible? Do you ever think about like, oh, you know how we have sayings that kind of like pertain to that? Like we say things like, oh, to be a fly on the wall. To be able to be in a room, to hear all that's being said, to know what happened, but nobody really knew you were there. 
Our popular culture seems to, to actually be somewhat obsessed with this idea. We love to think about and wonder, what would it be like to be, an invis be invisible? We have books like The Invisible Man. We see invisibility take place in, play, in book series like Harry Potter and The Lord of the Rings. We see it in film. There are movies out called Hollow Man, Memoirs of the Invisible Man. And in fact, every book that I just mentioned has multiple film adaptations. Even on television, we see our fair shares of shows that deal with invisibility. Shows like Unseen, Invisible, and The Invisible Sister. There is a curiosity to it. What would it be like if people didn't know we were there? What would they say? What would they do? What might we do if nobody knew we were there? As we dive into this genre or this theme in entertainment, we often notice that they all seem to follow the same theme. At first, they like it. They have a new ability, they take advantage of it, they try some things out. They go and listen to the things that they've always wanted to listen to. They may go the places that they've always wanted to go but couldn't. They test out their ability. Shortly, they begin to recognize the consequences of their power. And usually at some point, there is a turn where they get hurt or angry or upset by what people say and do when they're not there. This is usually what turns this person that with their newfound invisibility either hurt and, 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 and sorrowful or angry and vengeful. Finally, they grow to hate their ability and they want to be cured from this curse that they have. Fiction reminds us that deep down in the heart of every being is a desire to be seen, heard, and appreciated. While being invisible may sound fun and exciting at the beginning, ultimately we all have a deep desire to know that people see us, that they hear us, and that they appreciate us. I have no doubt that there were probably a few among the room that thought to themselves, I don't need to wonder what it, like, what it feels like to be invisible because so much of my life I feel invisible. As we go through life, we feel ignored, cast aside, and forgotten. We feel like we have no voice, that nobody sees us, no one acknowledges us, no one understands us. In our passage today, we have read about how God is going to judge these shepherds of Israel. because of their selfishness and their negligence. But I want you to understand, just like we talked a little bit ago as, as, as God gave all of these judgments towards the nations, but, but in reality, the nations that he was judging will probably never hear his prophecy. So too, when, when God in this passage, in Ezekiel 34, begins to judge and proclaim judgment against these shepherds of Israel, the message is not really intended for them but rather it's intended for the sheep so that they might be comforted that things are about to change. See, the people of Israel 
Not the high ups that were the ones that are chasing after foreign gods. Not the ones that had the wealth and the power and the influence. Not the ones who had taken advantage of the situation to position them and align themselves with Babylon in order to find comfort and prosperity. But the everyday person. They were at a point in their life where they felt invisible. That no one saw them that no one heard them, that no one cared about them. Even the God that they followed. So if you've ever been at a place in your life where you have felt invisible, that no one heard, no one saw you, no one even knew you were there, then believe it or not, this message is for you. And I would dare say that that means this message has at one point or another or will be at one point or another for all of us. This is a message of comfort and hope to the sheep who find themselves in a place where they feel forgotten, abused, marginalized, and invisible. So let's see how this passage speaks to us today. First thing we need to do is we need to take time to understand who these shepherds of Israel are. In the historical context, the word shepherd was often used to describe someone who rules or is in charge of some group of people. This would have not in any, you know, in any way been insulting to anyone else, might I add. You know, today, we, we call people sheep as an insult, don't we? We live in a culture today that is, that is highly individualistic. We are all our own person. We celebrate the rebel and the individual. Everybody wants to be different and wants to kind of stand out. Even when they kind of don't, they still feel like they should. And so things like rebel without a clause or, or, or we see people, especially here in the South, with their rebel, rebel yell mentality and that Southern culture thing. We have this mentality, but in this day and age, that didn't exist. And so to have a shepherd over his flock was not intended to be insulting in any way, shape, or form. But rather, this was a very common way to explain how a ruler of people was supposed to rule their people. In fact, if when we go to some of the leadership or some of the other nations that surrounded Israel, we even find more of this same idea. Different rulers refer to themselves over as shepherds over their people and ones who cared for or shepherded over these people. So when God talks about these shepherds of Israel, he is likely talking about the kings, princes, elders, and even the priests that govern the daily life of the common people. That's who he is addressing this at, at too. If we remember by this point in time, Babylon has really taken over. And those that are in leadership positions are in leadership positions solely at the good grace of the leaders of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar, of those type of people. So they might have titles like elder or governor or prince, but for the most part, they are puppets of the Babylonian rule. And yet, what he's addressing this to is the people who are, are Israelites themselves. These are their countrymen. These are their brothers and sisters, their cousins, who are now in charge of them and mistreating them. I want you to notice how God describes these people in verse 4. 
when he says that they will force, that, that they use, that they rule with force and with severity, you have dominated them. These words are significant. Words have meanings, right? And when we look at verse 4, we just, we see this thing, but you have, you have gone with force and with severity. You dominate the flock. You dominate these people. These words were used to imply cruelty, harshness, even brutality by the leaders of Israel. These are their countrymen. This isn't Babylon. We're not talking about Babylonian soldiers and, and, and cruel governors that have come in from foreign lands. We, we're not even, this isn't even the same as when we fast forward into the days of Jesus and you have Rome and the dominating presence of Rome and, and their soldiers and their governors and people like Pontius Pilate. These are their countrymen, fellow Jews and fellow brothers and sisters of the covenant. The words, uh, these words that we see here of severity and with force are the exact same words that we find in other places in the Bible, like the treatment of the Jews in Israel during the time of the Exodus. If we look over at Ezekiel chapter 1, we see these words. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and in all kinds of labor in the field. All of their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. That word rigorously is that same word that they did it with harshness, with cruelty. I want you to think about this for just a second. God is accusing the leaders of Israel of treating their fellow countrymen the same way that Egypt had treated them in their history. That word would have not been lost on these quote-unquote shepherds of Israel. It was such a defining thing that if we look forward just a little bit, this idea of, of treating your countrymen with severity and force, dominating them, would be something that, that God would outlaw in every way, shape, and form. Leviticus 25, 43 reads, You shall not rule over them with severity, but you are to revere your God. This was a command even as it related to the Israelites as they took slaves. And he said, listen, at one point you were enslaved in Egypt and they treated you harshly and with severity. You are never to do that in your own land, even if and when you would take slaves. And yet this is exactly how these leaders were treating their own countrymen. They taxed them heavily. They took advantage of them, stealing their land and their produce, and just generally caused the everyday person to live in fear of those who ruled over them. If you think about it for just a second, if you were an everyday person in the nation of Israel, or even in exile, and part of the nation of Israel, you would have had the Babylonian foreign nation who oppressed you, who ruled over you knowing that your life was not your own, but you were at the, that you lived at the whim of Nebuchadnezzar. And then you were abused by your own countrymen, the very people who should have been defending you. Who should have been taking care of you, who should have been standing up for you, who should have been protecting you. They were taking advantage of you and making your life even harder. This is the invisibility that I am talking about. That's the state of these people. And what makes it even harder is that we can see stuff like this today. 
First off, we have bosses, government leaders, teachers, influential people, even parents who tend to oppress and leave people feeling helpless and invisible. This is only made worse when the spiritual leaders of the church, people like pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth directors, committee chairs, abuse their position as a means to wealth, power, and influence, even if it means ignoring people in order to further your influence and wealth and power in the church. One of the scariest things that we might see from this is we as the church will begin to build a fence around our church and only let the people that we like in. When people darken our doors, do we require them to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to smell a certain way, to have their hair a certain way? Do we demand that they be in a certain socioeconomic class? Or even have the certain, a certain shade of color on their skin. And if they don't meet what our perceived expectations are, do we ignore them? And hope that they come and go and, not, and move quickly? Do we not take the time to, to learn their name and learn their interests to get to know them and maybe their need for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't look the way we want them to look? And worse yet... If they come in and they look right and they smell right and they tithe right and they dress right. Do we fall over ourselves in hopes that they will come be a part of our little club? Having no idea whether they even know the Lord or fear him. It can feel like our entire culture is bent on lifting up a few at the expense of the many. And it's why we see so many people in our world today act out in unhealthy and even violent ways. We live in a culture where so many people just want to be seen. To somebody, they're not invisible. To someone, they matter. And because of that, we see them do all sorts of things. Horrible, criminal, heinous acts that get blasted onto the TV. They forget or throw away who God created them to be, to dress like something they were never intended to be, and to go into relationships that God had never intended for them just because they want the attention and to be seen. Do you realize that? Some of the things that we as a church go, oh man, oh, the world out there today is going, it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad and the culture's just, we're just moving away from God and moving away from the church. And this might be the end of, of the United States and the church as we know it. Yeah, that might be true. But do you ever think that behind all of that nonsense and all of the bravado and all of the politicking and all of the, the protesting and all of the silliness that sometimes we see on television and celebrating our culture are people desperately wanting to know that they matter? And what's so heartbreaking about that is all the things that they are pursuing in order to be seen, in order to matter, are hollow and it's not going to work. And we have it. We got to share it with them. And we got to find a way to cut through all of the silliness and the makeup 
and the nonsense and the anger and remind them that there is a God who knows them and who loves them and who sees them. Today, just like in Ezekiel's day, God is ready and able to step into the situation. This is the very reason why we turn to the Psalms as we have been doing on Sunday nights in our, in our study time together. And in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 68, we read these words that God is a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widow in his holy habitation. The very implication there of being a father to the followers and a judge for the widow implies that God sees the forgotten and marginalized people of the nation of Israel and indeed of all of creation and he cares for them and he is their protector. If we feel invisible today, I want us to know that God sees you and that he is going to act on your behalf. Our passage reveals to us today two ways that God inserts himself into the situation, in his, what, what is going on, in order to act on behalf of the sheep. The first thing we see that God says he's going to do is he is going to deal with these wicked shepherds. God begins his address to these leaders with a word that is not good. If you look again at verse 2, he says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel. Now, I understand that unless you ride horses regularly, you probably don't say, whoa, that often. And even if you do, it's not that kind of woe. Woe is a term that we see in Scripture that is often said, in fact, we even hear it from Jesus' own mouth, that denotes a curse or judgment is upon a person. So when God turns to these shepherds of Israel and he says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel, he, they know immediately that judgment is coming for their behavior. In the case of these wicked leaders, God is going to take away their power and leave them empty-handed. See, these people, what they looked as people as they, these leaders, they looked at people as a means of gain for themselves. To fill their hands and fill their pockets with whatever they wanted that that person had. And God is telling them, the very thing you desire will be taken from you. Whether it is the power and the influence, influence or the financial gain that you hope to get from it. This is hope for the oppressed and those who have been mistreated. It is a reminder to people like us today that even what we might feel today when we feel lost and invisible is not our ultimate destination. But it is also, and I think it's important for us to talk about this today, it is a warning for leaders in our midst. As we look about our congregation, we have lots of people in leadership positions. We have pastors. We have deacons. We have teachers. We have committee chairs. We have people that manage other people. We have business owners. We have community leaders. We have all different kinds of influences, influencers, even going all the way down to our high school and our middle school kids that know that they have a voice among their own friend group. How are you shepherding the people under you? Think about that for just a moment. 
If there is anybody in your life that in some way, shape, or form looks to you or answers to you or you know that your words carry weight in their life, how are you shepherding your people? And even more importantly, what is your goal with those people? Is it to care for them? To meet their needs? To see them grow in love with Christ? That they might walk with Him more closely? That they might even come to know Him through you and through your life? Or is it for your own selfish gain? Is it for profit? Is it for power? Is it to make sure that when the chips are down that they're going to do what you want them to do? Do you look at people as a means to an end? And that I'm going to be friends with this girl because I know this girl is going to be the type of person that will buy me lunch every day or invite me to their house at the lake. Am I going to be friends with this person? Because I know if I'm friends with this person at work, I can get out of a lot of work. Or if I kiss up to my boss a lot, then the really particularly unsavory jobs and tasks and even clients that we have to deal with, that they'll give them to someone else because I'm going to be their favorite. These are how we use people. And this is what it means to, to, to act like these shepherds of, the, of Israel. May we all stop for just a moment and do a self-assessment of how we treat the people around us. Do we love them like Christ commanded us to love them? Do we seek their betterment even over our own? Do we, even if we have influence on them, do we seek and have a desire to serve them so that they might grow in their knowledge of Christ and their love love for Christ, or do we see people as objects to be exploited for our own personal gain? Now, I can't answer that question for you, but it's certainly something we need to stop and think about often. And sometimes I understand you work at a job and part of your job is to make sure that everybody's working together so that the company is, is profitable and gets to continue to exist. That's not what I'm condemning, but how are you doing it? At the end of the day, has your influence on that person drawn them closer to God or further away? There's no neutral. And if it's further away, then it is time to repent and to make changes. Paul, as he spoke to the church in, in really several letters, but I'm going to look at the letter to the church at Colossae, he talked about this, this imbalance of power where there is one person who has a lot of power and a lot of influence and then another person who has very little and how that is supposed to go. He uses it in the context of masters and slaves. We can often take those passages in the New Testament and apply those today into our employee, employer, influencer, influencee, person with power, person without power, to understand what it means for us to be one of these people. And in Colossians 4.1, it says this, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. That is a good word for us today and anyone in this room that is in any kind of leadership whatsoever. Treat 
those that you have influenced over with justice and fairness because you have a God in heaven that you answer to as well. See, the, the shepherds of Israel, these princes and governors, these priests and, and, and landowners that had a lot of power and influence that were still in the land of Israel and even really still in the exile, they did not do this. They didn't pursue justice. They didn't seek after what was best for their slaves and what was fair for their slaves. They thought only of themselves and it caused them a world of trouble. The other thing that we see from our passage is that God is going to step in and be the shepherd that these people actually need. So not only is he going to address the sinful shepherds of Israel, but then he declares himself the actual shepherd of Israel. And this is the very thing that he has done through the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that indeed God put on flesh and came to gather his people. Look at what he, Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, this was the thing that the bad shepherds, that the shepherds of Israel refused to do. They were not going to lift a finger to help or to benefit the sheep of Israel. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, talking about what Ezekiel is prophesying in this passage. I am the good shepherd, and what I've come to do is lay down my life for the sheep. Think about this for a second. These priests... And these leaders didn't lift a finger. Even in Jesus' time, these Pharisees would not lift a finger for the people around there. But Jesus gives up his life freely. We have one amazing example, don't we? Even in our passage, it makes it abundantly clear that God is sending Jesus. If we turn the page just a little bit and look at the second part of that passage, we read to verse 16, but I want you to actually look at verses 23 and 24. God, as he's explaining what this shepherd is going to be that he's going to place, he says this, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant, David, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God promised that one from David's line, a true king, would come and shepherd his people. And this person we have in Jesus Christ, the son of David, who would come to us, God in the flesh, that he might be our shepherd. One who will never leave us nor abandon us. One who will not seek his own personal gain, but rather make the way so that we might have a right relationship with God. And it says that he will gather his sheep and put them in a safe place where they will be loved and cared for and safe and secure. I want to read for you again verses 14 through 16. God says this of his pasture, I will feed them in good pasture and their grazing ground will be in the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountain of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. 
But the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. For a people who felt forgotten, this is good news. In fact, it is the good news that they had been waiting for for so long. And brothers and sisters, this is good news for us too. There are times in our lives where we feel pressure from all sides, don't we? The expectations of work seem overwhelming. The expectations of school seem, seem over unreasonable. We go home and we feel some of those same pressures. We've got a laundry list of to-do things, or we just have a laundry, which is that never-ending task that makes all of us want to, I don't know, join a nudist camp, but I don't recommend that. We have tons of things we have to do at home. We have friends that we can't hardly keep up with. We have family obligations. I live in a home full of short little people who make so many plans and yet they don't drive. And I've got to take them all the places that they need to go. We might even feel pressure when we come into the church that we have to act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, show up to the right things, give the right amount. We feel pressure on all sides and so often we feel forgotten invisible and that no one really understands and no one really knows what we are going through right now i have good news for you there is a god in heaven who sees you who knows you and who has stepped into your life through the person and the work of jesus christ See, the gospel is not just one thing that you hear and pray and get saved and get to go to heaven. The gospel is something that is preached to you every single day to remind you that you are seen, that you are loved, that you are matter, and that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You just need to trust him. Because God has good things planned for you. Some of those good things are certainly in this life. And that you can see God work in you and through you in ways that you never thought possible. But most of them are planned for you in eternity. And there will come a day where all of the pressure, when all of the oppression, when all of the hurt and pain of this world will be gone. And you and me will be with the Father on a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be free. But you'll notice something at the very, very end of this passage. He says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken. I will strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. See, the only way you get to enjoy the goodness that God has planned with you is if you are one of his sheep. 
if you are one of those who have come to him, that have cried out to him, that have sought after him, and that are a follower of him, the rest, and understand this, that even with the promise of, of provision and hope and a future and, 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 and eternity comes the, also the promise of judgment. You do not want to just assume that you're going to be good with God. Because judgment awaits some as well. I want, you to, I want to read to you something that, that Jesus also says in John. In John chapter 10, verse 16, he says this. He says, they will hear my voice, talking about the sheep, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. My question for you today is, are you hearing the voice of the one shepherd, Jesus? Because he is calling to you. And he is calling you to come and to be a part of his flock. He is calling to you to, to, to come to him, to put your faith and trust in him. Jesus' own words say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what he presents you with today. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep so that whosoever believes in him will not incur the judgment of the fat and the wicked sheep, but will become a part of his flock to be with him and to enjoy his presence for all eternity. Where are you? We offer this to you today. Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Will you become a part of the fold of his flock? Will you make him your Lord and your Savior and your shepherd? Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we stand in awe of your goodness. Lord, I know that there are people among us today that, that have it at some point in their life or even maybe right now have felt just, just lost and, and invisible and adrift and, and helpless and that everything around them, the storms all around them had control of their life and they had no control and no one even knew it. But God, we can look in your word and, and, and when we look to it, it says that you have put yourself in the story. That you have stepped into the situation, that you have come to bring about freedom and hope, that you see us and that you love us and that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins so that you might redeem us and restore us back to a relationship with you. Father God, I know that there are people in this room that, that, that they're still trying to figure all this out and they maybe feel that very, that very way and they might be feeling that tug. And Lord, I pray that they are listening right now to the call of the shepherd. That they are hearing, maybe even for the very first time, clearly the call to come and be a part of the flock. To surrender their lives to the shepherd. So the shepherd might find them and heal them and restore them. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that needs to give their life to Christ, that they don't leave this room today without having done so. 
that they come up and they talk to me or, or they talk to someone they came with or, uh, or, or somebody, Lord, so that they might know to whom they belong. And that, God, that through that they will find new life. That they will begin to recover and pursue your design for their life. That they will be seen. And that they will be loved. And that they will have a hope and a future. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.